Well, we're going to read from John 20, verses 19 to 22. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's resurrection morning, a new day, after some ink-black nights, nights darker than dark. And, and now, Mary has just told the disciples, verse 18, I, I've seen the Lord. And with that, a hope. It's a new day. But... As the evening set in, a whole lot of the old still remaining. Still living within, old sights of what they've seen, and I can't believe it's true, hearts. Hearts that have been held captive by the things they've seen and not fully owning what Mary had said. And in that place, they were gathered, locked up and closed in, as Scripture tells us, for fear of the Jews. They were fear-clustered, gathered together, and they were fear-bound, fear-tied up. Fear closing in and, and barricading out. Because out there, there were things that were far greater than any power that lived within. We all know places like this, places that where fear is greater than any strength that we can summon up within ourselves. Fear even greater when what's out there and the things we do face, they aren't just silhouettes and shadows that disappear at the first sign of light. They're very real. And most fears, we're told, are false expectations appearing real. And while that is true, there are those things of fear that are justifiably reason to be afraid. And for the disciples, if anybody knew that, these gathered in the upper room did, because they had seen the hatred that had done the unimaginable. They had heard the anger demanding the, the life of the one that was actually the giver of life. They watched every indignity, every cruelty that could be done. And aware of this, they knew that the anger of the abusers, the ones that had done all this, that anger was not spent. And they themselves were potentially in great harm's way. So yes, the disciples had every reason to fear, afraid of the anger and the venom that was just outside their getaway shut away world and yet it was into that fear into that room that Jesus stepped in not through a door not through a, any obvious entrance places but just stepped in just there stepping in demonstrating that that no rock could hold him in and no door could keep him out not threat not power not fear not death itself Jesus coming into the place of great fear, coming into the darkness, darkest places, the most helpless places, the all, I'm all alone in the, this place, place. 
doing what no one else could do, saying, peace. Not peace for things hoped for, not, not peace that momentarily comes and then just disappears, but peace because Jesus went into the very darkest of places, lifeless places, and did the unimaginable in speaking life defeating the places where fear lives and where death reigns. He spoke. And, and the great news is, is Jesus continues to speak. Speak peace and speak hope that will never disappoint and never end. And the evidence of that peace and the victory that he gives in that, it's a wounded side and it's hands held outward that have been nail-pierced. And so when Jesus comes to the disciples, he comes and says, peace, peace be with you. Peace with them, standing right in front of them. His presence, the powerful guarantee that transforms everything that the disciples felt, everything that they had gone through. His peace that came in and kicked fear to the door and kicked it to the other side of the door. It was peace present before peace was ever spoken. Before he ever spoke the words, peace be with you, he was peace present. Mark Batterson observes this. He says, fear is letting your circumstances come between you and God. But faith, ah, faith is letting God get between you and your circumstances. And now Jesus, his risen Savior, stood before them powerfully, standing in between the fear that they had known and the hope that was to come. He was the one that declared peace. And his words, peace be with you, changed despair into amazing realities that there's hope beyond what we thought was the grave that ended everything. Peace coming to a world that in recent days had been turned upside down for the disciples. They had made no sense at all when everything they had understood fell apart. His evil and chaos just rushed in. Just as it sometimes does with us. And in those times when we are just hanging on, just fighting to come up for air, forgetting what we once knew to be true, when chaos speaks louder than truth, and yet, even in those times when we cannot see, cannot understand, don't know what's happening, Jesus is present. Just waiting for our eyes of faith to see to be open that he indeed is true to his promise. Seeing with eyes that understand that his promise is true. Not always with calm seas and not always quieted storms, but peace that Jesus knows that we need. Because it was peace that Jesus said, I gave it to you on a blood-marked cross. I gave you life everlasting that you may know that God's power is true not peace sprinkled on to make me happier and less worried not not poured out to give me a better family or or a better job those things might come but the but the peace that above all that jesus speaks is this that i have come jesus redeemer who comes to take center place in our lives that we may know that our sins have been forgiven by his blood, that he, we have been made right with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
And when we come to that place and we come back and reestablish that it is all about Jesus on the cross and his victory in the gra- uh, overcoming the grave, that we can understand that when Jesus says he stands with us in our storms, it is true. But when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight that, that Jesus is center over all, Redeemer, Savior, he's Redeemer, King, then we lose the heart of our faith. And some of what is offered in today's Christianity is a view that begins and ends with me. What, what will God add to my life? What happiness will he give me? What will he do for me? What do I gain from this? What prize do I win? Some years ago, Rick Warren did a survey or quotes a survey in his book in a purpose-driven church. And he cites the survey that says that 89% of church members believes that the church's purpose is to take care of my needs and those of my families. And the reality is, no, it is not. The purpose of the church is what the 11% got right and said that is the purpose of the church is to win people for Jesus Christ that they may know hope and peace and truth and life. That is the purpose of the church because without Christ and him crucified, there is no Christianity at all. There is a semblance of it, but there is no heart of what the gospel is all about. Because we well, need to well remember that Jesus was not crucified because he told people to have a happier life, a stronger marriage, or better children, or better controlled emotions. He was crucified because he declared himself to be God, the Savior of the world. God's Savior, who called people to repent of their sins and believe in him as the only way to God, And in the age of anything goes, anything's right, your truth is as good as my truth, he uses words that for many are abhorrent, words of sin and repent. They're intolerant, they're they're unwelcome. But the truth of the scripture is those are the words of the gospel, that those who bow and repent, who acknowledge their sins, that they can know forgiveness and peace with God. And and that is the message that we as followers of Christ are to take into a lost and needy world. It's the peace of God's good news experienced by those in a locked-off, can't-be-entered room when Jesus entered, hands held outward. And when he appeared, fear didn't stand a chance. And that was the first thing he wanted the disciples to know. That in what they faced and what they had endured and what would be coming at them, that he was present. He was present in what was overwhelming at the moment and he would be present in the things that would come. Present in the frightening and the unknown. Present in the storm, present in the chaos. And in those places, I'm here. Peace be with you. Peace, not just for now, but for what is to come. For the disciples, what was to come was the assurance that the Jesus that they saw in the room 
would be the Jesus that would step with them once they stood outside the room. And whether they would see his nail-pierced hands when they stepped outside amongst the crowd, the truth of what he had presented to them is, I'm still present. I am still near. Just as much as what you experienced in the room. And that's the message that Jesus would say to you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, that in what you face in the storms that threaten to overwhelm, that I'm present, I'm here. So the first piece that Jesus speaks is the piece that says, be at rest. They had heard these words before when Jesus was with them in the midst of a storm and the storm was overtaking them. And why do you doubt? Why are you of such a small faith? I'm here. The master is present. Don't, I'm present in what you're experiencing. But the second piece that he speaks to them, because he repeats the phrase twice, peace be with you, is the peace that is to be with them as they exit the room, as they enter the room or the, on the other side of the door. When they enter a world that has got anger and opposition from which they've been hiding away, it's now the world into which they would be sent. Sent in a similar way that Jesus himself was sent by the Father, but they, he was sent as King Redeemer and they would be sent as ambassadors, as you and I are sent to be ambassadors of the king, ambassadors of the message that Jesus is peace, Jesus is life, Jesus is hope. And only in him is there forgiveness of sins and, and answer for our sin problem. Peace that would be offered to a lost and broken world and only in him to know life everlasting peace that it was spoken by the one that says I overcome by showing you a rock empty tomb and nail scarred hands giving evidence that I've got every power to bring what I promise so the disciples basically said you're a sent people I am sending you and like them we too are called to be a sent people but the problem is, sometimes as followers of Christ, sometimes we forgot why we're sent. We've gone into a world and instead we've melded in and look and talk and act a little different than those around, indistinct. Good people, yes. But people that relate and engage and are nice, but evidence of God's people? Too often a different story because we come alongside but we don't actually speak a message of you need to know where life is where peace is so does that mean i'm a sent person and that means i got to go off to ethiopia and do or afghanistan and is that the call for for me and i would suggest for most of us that's not where god has called us but he is told us that we are to be a sent people into the world around us, giving reason with gentleness and respect for the hope that is within us, that we are to demonstrate that we actually are a people that live in the presence of the one we call Savior. That we are to be reflections of Jesus, his, present, his presence and his power in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are sent to be God-given joy people, that we are to be God-anchored-in-hope people, that we are to be God-speaking-love people, people that are known and seen as people that have been in the presence 
of the master. Not put on, not, not some sort of religious look, but, but people that really know what it means that, that we are children of God. And, and yet sometimes we meld in and look the same indistinctive from others is because we don't have a clear picture of the people to whom we're sent. Too often those pictures are blurry. We, we've got an idea, but we've lost focus on, on why we're sent. And we fail to see that the people that we are put in contact with are people that are, the Scripture tells us that are lost without Jesus. And that without the saving blood of Jesus, they are, intolerant though it may seem, they are people that the uh, Scripture tells us that they are condemned and dead in their sins. And that condemnation, we're told, means everlasting separation for God. It means judgment. And it means, a word that we don't often like to use, it means hell for all eternity. It means where it says there's the weeping and gnashing of teeth. God's judgment, ultimately, for those who reject his son. And these are the needy to whom we have been called to whom we have been sent. To, to give up our fear and to go, to give up our fear and to speak. And though Jesus didn't say this to the disciples, he easily could have. <laughs> said, Guys, you've, you've got it all wrong. You stand here in fear in this room, forgetting that your life is in me. <laughs> and if it's in me, what it means is there's nothing to fear. Your, your life is, is mine, now and forever. You were loved, you were secured, you were cared for by Christ for all eternity. But, but those outside the door, they've got every reason to fear. And they might not see it. They might not believe it, but without me, they are eternally lost. So don't live in this place in fear, but step out empowered by the Spirit to know that you've got the message of hope and peace. And this is the message that we as believers are to take into our world, into our schools, into our workplaces, into our homes. It's interesting, in a recent study of, of millennials, uh, those that are between the ages of 23 and 38, it says that 60% define themselves as Christians. Yet, just 2% hold a biblical worldview believing truths such as Jesus lived a sinless life, or that God is all-powerful, that he's the all-knowing creator, or that salvation is a gift from God and can't be earned, that Satan is real and that the Bible is accurate in its teaching. This is 60% of people, millennials, that say they identify themselves as being Christians. And yet it's a world that is deceived and lost in that it wants to frame its own definition of truth rather than God's. To this world, we are a people that have been called to be sent a sent people loving and sharing the hope that we have within us doing so with gentleness and respect as peter makes clear 
respectful voices that aren't angry, aren't trying to prove a point, aren't wanting to win an argument. Respectful voices that don't hold a placard and march and, and have voices that are angry and chill. No, we're to be people that are to be known for a people that respect and are gentle in our faith. And it's into that world of turmoil that Jesus says, sent, sent for gospel peace, peace costly that comes about because blood that was shed on a cross. Because God tells us that we are sent to be his witnesses, as we're told in Matthew 28, we are to be witnesses empowered by God's presence. Jesus assuring us, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As you go, I'm with you. And where Acts 1, 8 verse tells us where, to, where we're sent? First to Jerusalem, meaning in the very places that you were placed right now. You don't have to look at Ethiopia. You're to, you're to go in the places you are right now, on that factory floor and in that school and around the family table. Not trying to win an argument, but to demonstrate Christ. Not, not we're sent one day when and one day where, but... but Right now, sent where we are. The second place we're called is to be sent into all Judea. And the idea of that is that you are to be sent and to go into the world that surrounds, into the, the places of influence, the city in which we live, the merchants with whom we do business, the salespeople with whom we interact. And third, it says then you go into all Samaria, the places that we don't typically think of and oftentimes we don't want to go because they're, they're different than we. They, they don't have the same sort of way of doing life as we. Then to go into places of the ends of the earth. And for a few minutes I want to just, just tip down on that last place, uh, the ends of the earth. And to understand what does it mean to be a people that are sent to those places. Sent, sent to places where calamity comes or where desperation lives. People who don't have access to truth as we do. Places that any evidence of the gospel, any evidence of the news of Jesus Christ is ripped down and torn apart. Places that persecute and kill. And yes, even today in some places where the truth of God, a God who loves, has never been heard. It's a God that oppresses, a God that must be obeyed at all costs, but not a God who loves, not a God who can be known. But our message is a God of peace that says, I'd want to draw near, of a God who came down that, to die so that we might live. Not a better life, not a happier, more prosperous life, not do this and God will make you wealthy life, but a brand new life of knowing that we have been forgiven by God. Life that we are told in Ephesians that when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. By nature, you were children of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 6. It's God's good news to those living in places where violent opposition reaches out to, to suppress and to destroy. Like in China, where churches are being torn down, believers are being imprisoned, and schools 
uh, are forbidden to even mention God's name. Yet reports that in China, that host, Chinese host churches continue to grow at astounding rates. New believers gathering in homes or secluded locations for teaching and evangelistic training, still wanting to evangelize, even though they know that if they do, the chance of suffering tremendously is great. Or in Cuba, where people line up early to attend church, either in homes or in church buildings, as people desperately, so desperate for hope that so long been denied them, turn to Christ as Savior. Or in India, where leadership confidently states that millions are becoming followers of Christ, primarily due to the example set by believers. This despite radical opposition that has persecuted and killed. One Hindu leader remarked this way, saying of Christians, during this lockdown, this COVID lockdown, your elders and pastors are not scared of anything. They are visiting all people, going to families' homes, praying for their welfare, sharing what food they have. No one else is doing this. Hindu priests and Muslim holy men are hiding in their homes and huts. They are afraid, and Christians, they're not. They are different. And similar things could be said of what is occurring in Laos and Ethiopia and Vietnam and Egypt and Serbia, Israel and Iraq, and on and on. And yes, even in Iran, one of the most dangerous places in the, on earth to be a Christian, thousands of Iranians are being reported of coming to faith in Christ. CBN reporting that Christianity is growing faster in Iran than anywhere else in the world. And how is this possible? Because of what Jesus did in a room when he met with 12 disciples, or might have been more than 12. When he comes to them and speaks peace to, peace to them. But it says also, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. His power that enabled a rock to be pushed away from an inescapable tomb. God's power coming to breathe life into someone long declared dead. God's power when what wasn't now is coming into the impossible. His power that spoke a world into existence and raised Jesus from the dead, given to us so that we may know peace and life and hope. His power given to us, whether in worlds foreign to us or speaking to the neighbor next door, giving us the power to speak peace, speak hope, speak life, that our sins can be forgiven. Sent. Not as those skilled or those courageous and strong, but sent as people he is looking to be willing and those who are willing to believe. All possible because of what Jesus did in that shut off, closed off room. And he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit filled, Holy Spirit empowered. I just have to say this because when you, if you take the, uh, uh, every passage of Scripture and take a look at where it talks about being filled with the Spirit or being baptized with the Spirit, the one common denator 
denominator in all this isn't being baptized, isn't speaking in tongues, it isn't giving a word of prophecy. The one commonality in all of that is this, that they were given the power and the enablement to do what God had told them to do so that Jesus would be glorified. It's about enablement. It's about power. The Holy Spirit giving the power to do what's needed, how it's needed, and when it's needed. God equipped with the words, the wisdom, and the power. As the prophet Zechariah says in uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 6, he says, It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And the result? God sent people to live and to share the magnificence of who Jesus is. Peace be you, with you. For there is a Savior, a Redeemer, who has come to make everything new. That is the good news that Jesus has given us, both to receive, but also to hear his message. I send you. You are a sent people, sent to a lost and needy world in the power of Christ.